0: You're listening to The Quest for the is from Backlot Banter. Join us on a side quest as we watch all 10 Best Picture nominees and decide which one we think will take home the big award. Your hosts are Timo Nelson, Abram Buner, Tucker Hazel, and Tanner Dykstra. The episode gets started in just a moment. Hey everybody! Welcome back to the quest for the bestes It's the podcast from Backlot Banter, where we look at every single Best Picture winner, including now for the last couple of years every single Best Picture nominee. And as it is that time of year again, we today are looking at All Quiet on the Western Front from 2022. We have already seen this film from 1930. I'm sure, you Perfect heard for about a that. Yeah, you've seen our review from. Uh, I don't even know. That was a long time ago, but this film, directed by Edward Berger, states itself as more of a readaptation of the book than a yeah. readaptation of the movie. But we are here to discuss this film, what happens, what we felt, how it impacted us. But before we do that, I have to remind you of what we talked about last time, because we talked about Everything Everywhere All At Once, directed by The Daniels. It's the only film on our list of uh, the Best Picture nominees for 2023, so it's at the number one spot. But I must put in your mind the number to beat. If All Quiet on the Western Front wants to go above everything, everywhere, all at once, it has to get at least a 9.21. It needs to beat a 9.2 in order to jump ahead and claim the top spot, which we shall see what happens. I don't know. I don't know.
1: We shall see. Oh, I know. Tucker knows. Oh, he knows yeah, already. Okay, I took a look forward. I I, I sped up on the YouTube thing. I, I checked the end. Oh,
2: there. I see. Very clever. Very clever, Tucker. Mm-hmm.
0: I do believe before we dive into this film, we have a featured comment. Abram, you were looking through. Do we have anything that deserves to be read aloud?
3: Well, we got to do a little insider baseball, right? Of course, you know, because at the time of recording, we haven't posted the uh, everything everywhere review yet, so we don't have comments from that. But what I did do. Is I want to shout out two comments. I, I did a little, I did a little patrolling through our YouTube channels because there's two of them now. Remember, you are on backlog banter. Backlog banter still exists for gaming content. I just want to shout out. I won't read the comment because not, mm-hmm. it doesn't pertain. But John Tor commented on our most recent Nintendo video, so thank you, John Tor, yeah. for the support over there. But the comment I actually wanted to shout out uh, comes from our uh, 2023 live Oscar nominations reaction <gasps> video. Oh, really? Yeah. Because also, nobody commented on your Sicko Infinity Pool review either. So. <laughs> oh. But Supermodel 2 did comment Uh-oh. on our awesome. This is not even signed. The second ever. This is a great comment. They got a creator heart. Great oh. video. You guys are hysterical. I'm so happy my two favorite films, Triangle Sadness and Women Talking, both snuck in for Best Picture. Love the Andrea Riseboro nomination. So happy for her as well. And I just wanted to read that out because mm. I want to know. Supermodel 2, did you like that video so much that you stuck around and you subscribed and you're watching quests? Because if you are, mm, let me I know
2: in the comments. So. It's yes. an
1: open challenge. This is for you, Supermodel 2. Uh-huh. Yes.
2: Our the ball is in your court, what you do with it is your decision. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do whatever you want with your balls.
0: Yeah. Okay, I'm going to take the ball into my court and tell Tanner, because Thank you, you yeah. have yeah. Oh. a very Teutonic mustache today. Your Teutonic oh. mustache is going to have to lead us through a plot synopsis. Of All Quiet I see, I see. on the Western Front. What, right. what happens in this movie on a, level, on a lower level, on the lowest level? We, we can't get too much into it like we did last time with this mm-hmm. question, but
2: what happened? What happens in All Quiet on the Western Front is we have our protagonist, uh, and his name is Paul Baumer, okay? He's a 17, 18, he's a young fella, a young man. And he's like, I want to join World War One because I am a young patriotic German boy and I want to fight for my country. And war just seems like a whole lot of fun. There's a whole lot of hullabaloo around it. Me and my friends going to join up. And they do. And they discover very quickly, in fact, that war is hell. And uh, we, there's actually a substantial time jump between uh, the first experience Paul has and then the rest of the film takes place towards the tail end of World War One, uh, following the German perspective, not only in Paul's case and in the soldiers on the ground, but also the negotiators and the generals who are calling the shots. Uh, all leading up to, of course, uh, the final battle that takes place on the day on in the last minutes of the of World War One, uh, where Paul meets his untimely and quite uh, ironic demise. I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tanner, can you also hit us with those uh, nominations? Yeah. No, Abram, I would love to. So, Who obviously, dare? we're talking about this film because it got nominated for Best Picture. It was also nominated for Best International Feature Film, the official submission from Germany. This is a German film, of course. Uh, achievement in makeup and hairstyling. Achievement uh, in music written for a motion picture, so the original score. Uh, Best Sound. Be- achievement in visual effects. Uh, adapted screenplay, cinematography, and production design—nine noms for *All Quiet on the Western Front*. Nine noms.
0: So everything, everywhere had eleven. This yes. has nine. Are those tied the, t-
2: for, the top two? Tied for uh, second with *Banshees*. *Banshees* of Ina also has nine nominations. Uh, huh. Okay, yeah. so with four of
1: those being acting. Yeah. Yes,
2: yes. But, These are all below the line, except for the screenplay and
1: picture, of course. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Okay. It's a lot. It's a good amount. Mm-hmm. So what did you guys
0: think of this movie? Really, truly, tell me. What are your thoughts on All Quiet on the Western Front?
1: All right, I won't lie this time. Okay. I usually do on Quest, but this time i will make an exception <laughs> sure. because okay. this is a great movie. Uh, yeah. I think it'll be really difficult for us to not bring this into conversation with the 1930 version adaptation of the book, which, of course, this mm-hmm. is as well, um, because the two share a lot of the similar plot beats. They share the same characters, and it was that was coloring my perspective on the movie. And I think that'll be interesting to bring them in the conversation in terms of this being a modern readaptation of it, without the uh um, both the technical limitations that came with a movie being made in the 1930s versus mm-hmm. Year of Lord 2021 or whatever this was made. Um mm-hmm. and the difference in storytelling options and um nuance in the acting and of course this the scope and scale and spectacle and everything that comes with a modern movie. And I think the two movies are quite Uh, uh, They're on a similar level in my mind, both being great. I think this one tips so much more into being immersive and engaging from a character perspective because I think Paul Bauer in this movie does feel a lot more fleshed out. Um, But I also think that it loses a little bit of what was so interesting about that first movie was being made from an American perspective about the Germans not too long after the war and having a few scenes that I think made the themes of that original movie, the first version of this, the book turned into a movie, Mm -hmm. hit a lot harder that they chose to admit or maybe weren't in the source material. I'm not familiar with the book, but um, I thought this was a great modern retelling of that. Mm -hmm. But there are some things that I think the original still has over this one. Sure.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Abram, what do you
1: think? Yeah, uh, I think this
3: film is exceptional. I... We'll we'll talk more about the comparisons to the original. So mm-hmm. I'll not even I'll not even mention that up top. But no,
1: why would you? You wouldn't even
3: mention it in your opening
1: statement. No, <laughs> God
3: God forbid. Um, it ultimately the film is very simple, and and yeah. I think it succeeds by maintaining a very clear focus on what is ultimately a sort of at this point tired but sort of perennially important theme about war being mm. bad. I mean, it's an anti-war piece, and it doesn't really try to be much more than that, but I think it's successful to that end because it focuses so much on just this sort of uh, gut level disgust that that sort of builds and builds and builds as the film goes along to the point where the last 45 minutes or so as the armistice is being signed, I'm like, man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of movie left and that just mm-hmm. led to this this dread that sunk into my stomach and I'm like we're not making it out of this still. It's not over. Mm -hmm. And I I think by hinging so centrally around a very small group of characters and one core idea, we just really bore far into that. And the way we do it is with just technically immaculate filmmaking. I think that this, like Dune, is going to just clean up. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, I mean, it is a beautiful film. It is a haunting film. And it's just so impressive. And I think that's part of what makes it so scary. So I was very, very much enthralled by All Quiet on the Western Front.
0: Kenner, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm going to steal your thunder and go next. And, go uh, right ahead. I, I agree with you guys in a lot. I found this film to just be horrifying. I was quaking in my seat as I sat at home watching it up on, this, on the big screen. Like I was downright terrified watching this film. And I think that the technical advancements in the last hundred years have really propelled the ability to communicate what the original was trying to communicate into yeah. a new realm of of viscerality. I mean, it's like just the screams and the blood and the trenches and the mud and the water yeah. and the explosions and just like the how, how real it felt and how, how much I felt I was in that situation we're just, oh, yeah. it was very all, it, totally all encompassing, really. I was I was very, yeah. very immersed in the film. And I think that the added context that it gives to what is going on politically, what the generals think, how Absolutely. the the politicians are trying to sign and save lives, but the the French are, you know, they're just, they want the sign, but they They've don't. They've drawn a line in the sand. They are yeah, not like, going to. These
2: are our terms. Like,
0: yeah, yeah we're going to continue slaughtering you unless you sign this. And so I find that, that that works. I am kind of questioning, however, how much I, I feel the the characters in this version, that are time skips. Um, I agree that Paul is a, is a very... I think he is v- fleshed out. I think that we don't... The film does a lot of communication visually, especially about how characters are feeling and how they've changed. And so while I I get what Paul's arc is, some of the other characters... I feel like I'm missing a little bit because to me, the film plays out in a series of vignettes. We have our the beginning Absolutely. and the middle, and it kind of goes along with the, the music, what themes are being played in the soundtrack. Um, and so I enjoyed it, but I, I found myself just, again, thinking about how it compares to the other film, the 1930 version, mm. and I came up enjoying it a lot. I just have yeah. some stuff to work through, I think, with its difference between the original.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously the exact same boat, but I do think it's most important to start with where I think this film, outside of the technical aspects, which i will obviously spend a long time about, uh, get into which is well, Tucker. They make oh, you, the
0: you
2: gotta let Tanner get
1: his
2: Before we start, can we get to my opening thoughts, please?
1: Oh, you know, <laughs> see, Timo, about like, you no sometimes. Tucker.
2: I don't. Bl- I don't blame you, Tucker. Timo threw us through a wrench in it. He went before me. Typically, True. Timo goes last, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a whole lot else to add. Uh, other than yes this film is a technical marvel on all fronts and timo i disagree actually i think that uh i i think this film especially hinges on the performance oh, okay. of felix kammerer as paul uh and not necessarily a character arc for him but he is what makes it immersive and the direction and everything else of course but i think he is an an integral piece uh a a cog in this machine of immersing you in the hell of war the blur of it the horror of it and everything the in the transformation that uh his character paul goes through is fantastic and very impressive for a performer who this is his first feature film Mm mm-hmm
0: crazy yeah I Crazy. actually agree with you on, on Paul's performance. I think it's yep, yep. maybe in the side characters that were sure, a little bit sure. lacking.
2: Now, yeah. Tucker, take it away.
1: Well, you actually made this transition both oh. worse because you made me stumble, but better oh. because you were able to give your thoughts and my thoughts where I was about to get into is let's talk about Felix Kammer and how okay. his performance as Paul Baumer is it's Boimer, really the, by central, the way. Boimer, by um, <laughs> Is the central conceit of why I think this film... <laughs> is definitely better than the first one in that specific regard. The amount of emotion and exhaustion that is portrayed on this guy's face is incredible. He doesn't have a ton of lines. When he does, they're delivered perfectly adequately, but I think that it is that physical performance, the facial performance, that really sells, as you were saying, the horrors of this war, especially when mixed with the makeup and hairstyling, which is mud everywhere (laughs) and different kinds of mud and different colors of mud and different thicknesses of mud and how Uh his face emotes through these different layers of grime and the like visual experience that you see of like has been actually caked onto him due to the things that he's gone through is top notch stuff. And I do think that honestly, especially because of how muddy the world war one trenches are and all that, that's probably the best visual representation I've seen of the horrors of war on one person's body, through the face, and the incredible skill of the makeup team to like make mud out of makeup stuff and look make it look like he just fell in the mud, and that was what was left on him it's it's a that's a technical marvel and a performance marvel,
3: yeah mm-hmm. he's a uh, he's got a really good set of eyes, mm-hmm. yeah, that's true one thing you can ever take away from this young man is he's got just a really nice pair of peepers and mm-hmm. and I think that that does a lot of the work because you're right tucker it's it's this juxtaposition between. This incredibly heavy makeup. I I want to touch on this scene in much greater detail, but when he um, kills the Frenchman in that big like, mud puddle, mm-hmm. and the and he's got this almost it looks like almost like a turtle shell of mud on his yep. face. It, it's so bit, like half
2: down. Yeah,
3: yeah, and his eyes are just so wide, and they communicate a lot. And then another great moment being after he's been stabbed as the film is ending there's that yeah. there's that shot that was very iconic, sort of as the film was being marketed of him sort mm. of like looking up at the at, coming out of the trench as, as the mm-hmm. war is done just like that the look he can convey is really impressive because you're right this is a this is a pretty spare film in terms of dialogue we yeah. do have is incredibly intentional which is have a of, screenplay and i want to talk about the screenplay because i think it's very good yes. but but it's sort of forced our actors to sort of find in their body the the emotion that maybe the script doesn't convey that yeah, much yeah. So I, I just think it's incredibly incredibly effective, and it's that, and it's that, it's that harmony, as you're saying, Tucker, between the the eyes and the mud that that really sells the performance.
2: I want to give My you one more things. camera look that that sells it from that sells his performance for me, and also sells the arc of Paul and the whole film. Uh, and that is after his best friend Kat has been has been pronounced dead. After he drags him back from this forest, and he brings him there, and the doctor's like. This guy died. I don't know what to tell you, buddy. Sorry. And he lost the 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 one friend he had left. Yeah. And, you know, the on the day that they knew the war was ending, nonetheless, and then the general comes out, he says, gather all the recruits, we're going back one more time, we're doing it before 11 o'clock before the war ends. Yeah. And he is juxtaposed by all these extras who are, like, new recruits they are clearly, like, 15, 16, maybe, uh, and he is not much older, but he looks so much more haggard—the bags under his eyes, the ashen makeup on his face—as he just has a thousand-yard stare up at the general, giving these orders. And that—that's the moment where I'm like, that's the moment where, um, Abram, you—you you said this line earlier: "We're not making it out of this." I think that's a—that's a real common, uh, sentiment in this film. That mm-hmm. yeah, try as he might, and as close as he gets. Paul's not making it out of this.
0: Yeah, that's a point that I really want to jump off of, because you know I think it's a little cliche to be like whenever you're critiquing a war movie to be like, oh, like you know this movie, you know, no, you, there's no way to make an anti-war war movie. And watch Truffaut. Yeah, this is the Truffaut quote. It's brought up all all over the place in the criticism <laughs> of this movie because I think that very feeling of we're not making out of it out of this situation pervades the film and in the film lets us know from the beginning that we are not making out of it we're not getting out of this war alive Mm -hmm. and so the way that as an anti-war film this posits the idea not just that war is bad and I think that the the message of the film is a lot more unique and nuanced than just like war is bad like something that we would get from the hurt locker or platoon which which you know complicates war and and shows its many different facets but this one in its world war 1 futility there is a point the film i think goes to great lengths to make our battles pointless un, you know you can't tell where the lines are the it doesn't look like they move at all in years and they didn't really the yeah. the the pointlessness and the endless death of this war is shown in a way that I think a lot of other war films like struggle to. Hollywood wants our hero to live. We want our, our you know, the protagonists to be able to like make it, make it through because- End up
2: with mm, the girl at the end. Yeah, that's- Have their actions mean something.
0: And, and in some of the reviews of this film that I read that reference, some other movies, like the, what people think, and I agree, makes a really good war film is to make the main character, the main character is like literally has to die. Like, they have to die if you're going to make the, the film have an anti-war message. Because otherwise, you are selling the myth that you'll make it out. When in this film, mm-hmm. that myth, I think, is thoroughly debunked.
3: Yeah, there's a, I, wanna, I think the script does a lot of the heavy lifting in front. Sort of the scenario that we ended up playing, especially in the last 45 minutes of the film, which I think is really, really masterful. But I, I think there's also some other more subtle technical elements that sell this from the very beginning. This one is not particularly subtle, but I think as as sound man, you'll like this Timo, and I love this moment a lot in in our first march with these with these men towards the front, they're singing a song mm-hmm. about like it's like, like I'm going to marry a girl when I come home or wait a year or whatever it is. And we hear this heavy, like synth organ dirge going mm-hmm. bum, 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 as they are singing. and it's not even it's not even like it's harmonized together. Or or like it's it's intentional. It's it's these people are doing something, but there's a much stronger and larger force that doesn't give a fuck, yeah. and mm-hmm. it's communicated oh through that sound design. Yeah, I and think the juxtaposition the score, of the two. Yeah, yeah, and and the sort of lack of of congruity. It, it like it's 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 drowning out what they're trying to sing, but not not in like a not not in a harmonious way. It's very cacophonous. Yeah, and I think that's
1: incredibly effective.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: absolutely, and I think that that score that is. It's very scintillating, as you said, and it sounds almost modern, like it's a modern factory, like grinding its gears without any worry about like how many human souls are like being fed into it. Mm-hmm. That is immediately one of the most impactful things about this film to me is that musical cue of the synth score hitting three times, bah, 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 is played so many times throughout the film that by the end, and it's hitting less frequently but it's still there every once in a while every time it comes in that s- that same feeling of dread hits me and it's i think because it's juxtaposed so uneasy uh makes you so uneasy at mm-hmm. when the first time it's played over the group of boys like heading off to war the smile on their face and you're like uh-uh no they like the machine of war is coming to chew you up and not spit you out which is really really interesting
2: yeah, I don't know if that sound, uh, if that cue would fall under the score or the sound, which is um, why I'm sure it got both nominations. It, it, is, mm-hmm. it is the score. It I, it I is listened to the score. entire score on yeah. YouTube,
1: and that's most of it.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, that, that's really interesting. And I, I know we said we want to talk about the screenplay, and uh, I think this is a good point to bring up differences between the 1930 version and the 2022 version. Of course, yeah. Um, there are a few key differences that I feel, Mm -hmm. um, and Tucker, you, you just recently today listened to our review of the 1930 version and, you know, maybe we'll have a, maybe we'll have a little banner or something pop up uh, at some point in the video, uh, a link down in the description maybe as well. If you want to, if you want to listen back to that as well. Um, but from memory, I don't recall any focus on the generals or politicians in that film, Mm -mm, No, um, which I feel is a very key element of this film. Uh, and we can start there, but I want to point out a few others. Um, the lack of a scene where Paul goes back to his hometown and sort of tries to debunk these nationalistic, this nationalistic rhetoric that's being spread. That's that's missing here. I think it's really interesting. But we can start out with the politicians and the generals and things of that nature. Can I just ask, because you yes. guys,
3: clearly the, the plot of the 1930s film left a better impression on you guys than it did of me. <laughs> Because I think back and I remember the, the bombing sequence and I remember yeah. the um the the stuff over the boots, which is not here. Mm-hmm. Yes, but,
1: that also. Yeah.
3: But Paul doesn't die at the
1: end of the 30s one, does he? He does. Absolutely, he does. He gets hit by a sniper and, and dies that's in a mud puddle as a, a butterfly the, lands the, the on his butterfly finger. in the can, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah. Um, that's what it is.
1: Yeah. So he he dies. And we talked a little bit about that in our review with, in which Timo remarked that it was a very bold choice to have. All the characters die, and that's absolutely true for the 30s. I think it maybe feels a little less unique here because we've had we uh, almost a hundred years worth of films where that's happened mm-hmm. multiple times. Um, but I think that it is in those differences where this movie is most conflicted in my mind. Like, is it better than the the original one or not? Because Tanner, Tanner I actually I agree that the stuff about the politicians is the most unique part of this movie, especially when mm-hmm. you're comparing it to the 90s, 1931, one. Is Learning about the war from that perspective and having Baron Zemo himself come on come on <laughs> stage and try to negotiate things. Yeah, yeah. That is where I think the movie is most interesting on a script perspective. And cutting in between them like struggling to just talk to another person in order to figure things out to okay, well, while that's going on, like the mm-hmm. minutes are ticking and we're seeing his friends get shot down. I think that's fantastic. But I do think that lacking a few of the sc- scenes that for me were most impactful in the 1930s version, makes me wonder if it, it lands its themes as well as the as 1931, which hmm. is the scene of him going back home to his hometown and ending up in the classroom, which is, is reminiscent of where the, that original film started, mm-hmm. of receiving the propaganda. And in he's in the classroom talking to a bunch of kids who are like, we're very excited to go to war. And he's like, no, war is bad. And that was one of the most impactful scenes of that film. And it's obviously not present here. And same with the, uh, with the thing about the boots is, I thought that that thematically was very fascinating in that in the nineteen thirty movie. Wait, about
0: remind me what the what that scene is happening because I think something similar happens in this film.
1: the the th- the, th- the thing about the boots in that movie is that we see a pair of boots transferred from person to person. That the boots
2: yep, are yep.
1: longer lasting and more important to the military than the bodies that they're on which I think is a really interesting not only visually like seeing it mm-hmm. the same boots cut between people and watching them wear over time but thematically like that's a fascinating cinematic statement well make. there's mm-hmm. also there's
3: also an, there's also a personal element to it because mm-hmm. obviously that is sort of how the film begins as we meet
0: Heinrich who yeah then, this film his, tr- oh, uses the jacket play. to do that I think yeah. But
3: what what the original does that this one doesn't though is that sort of the the boots become like a a, a symbol of envy as the soldiers try to take them from each other, yeah. which is the component that isn't here. Yeah. There's actually a lot more camaraderie in this version mm-hmm. than in mm-hmm. the original. As it's coming back to me now, <laughs> yeah. I talked yeah. about that one. But
2: maybe I mean, left that, a little bit of an impact.
3: A little bit. It's
2: maybe. a deep impact, if you will. Mm. That's a movie <laughs> reference. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh what was i gonna say oh uh, okay so on the note of the politicians and the generals tucker you brought up baron zemo and i oh like daniel brule in this but i think he kind of gets his his plate eaten by whoever plays the general in this i think he is far more fascinating a mm. tertiary character um largely because he is where the sort of obsession with war comes in he is our he is the the rock on which that theme that thematic point is planted he has a number of uh lines and things like that um i wrote one down here oh uh, when he's talking to some sort of messenger or politician or something like that lower ranking person uh and he he's talking about his father and you know this is a very common sentiment uh and, and really why he and the rest of the german generals and politicians want to continue the war is because there is this reverence for it amongst them Mm -hmm. amongst the people who actually don't have to fight they're like my father you know he fought in three wars and he won them all and he won them for the fatherland and man he loved germany and i was born 50 years too late 50 Mm -hmm. years without war imagine how that softens a nation how that softens a people and all all these things all this nationalistic fascist rhetoric that he's spouting uh, and I think that's really interesting because that character's absent uh in in the 1930 version. Um but I think both both films do a good job of and it was fascinating for the 1930s as well because obviously we didn't have the Nazis in World War 2 yet at we that point. We didn't know what true. the what the result you know, of the fascism was lead was leading to it. and mm-hmm. now uh looking back now at 2022 looking back i think there's a different context to it but the message remains the same which is why i don't lament the loss of the classroom speech too much sure. i think that the things the ideas are still there I, yeah i, I was,
0: uh, well, uh, mm. i'm i'm turning to timo the second okay. back to me i really appreciate this the the context that we are given to the battles that that including the generals and the negotiations give. I mean, I I think it really increases the meaninglessness of the combat when you see that, like, the war is over and, like, that they've signed and that they're going to stop fighting and that the only reason that it was signed, that the the armistice went into effect on the 11th hour, the 11th day, the 11th month, was so that it literally could be 11-11. Like, they did that so that it would be Mm -hmm. poetic and have, they were like, Adding meaning oh, shit, to the what a coincidence. <laughs> to the end of the war when there was no meaning in the war, mm-hmm. and so yeah. and and as a result of the generals trying to to do that, thousands more men died in the yeah. trench, and so I think that it's really I think incredible to see these aspects of the film, and to you're right Tanner, in that it, it lends us to see how World War One leads to German fascism, which mm-hmm. in history it does very clearly, but I don't think very many films have like tried to even just explain that idea.
3: Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, and I hey, wanna <laughs> I, I I uh I wanna circle back to Tucker, your kind of point about that classroom scene, because um I think that message is still conveyed but on a very personal level when that um brand new recruit the young kid the yeah. the one that looks like he grew up to be matt damon and saving private ryan <laughs> <laughs> that that one when he um we see him get off of his like his like transport and he doesn't even know how to put the strap on his helmet on right these are basically the kids that paul talked to in the 1930s version but just yeah. already on the battlefield completely clueless yeah. Yeah, and there's that moment when the the kid firsthand recognizes that this is fucked because he sees paul who is so mm-hmm. close in age to him and there's this moment where we just see on his face his reaction to finding paul's body in particular and yeah. i think that sort of uh, sort of characteristic or emblematic is the word I'm looking for, of, of how this film operates in large part and part of why I like it so much. Because it does remind me of Dune and other films <laughs> that I really
2: enjoy. No director the, nomination, but lots of tech nominations, very just similar. like Dune.
3: Yeah, in, in terms of how we really use filmic I, affordances and visual motifs to convey a, lo, a lot of this. Yeah. And, and and I think that small moment of taking Paul's tag is is a great sort of substitute in the style of this film for what that classroom scene was
2: for the sure. 30s version. Absolutely true. Um here's and, a difference that I oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead, Timo.
0: I think the um, the way that this film deals with the remember back to the 30s part, the 30s movie, there's a part where they enter into the French village kind of as mm. German occupiers and they meet some women and they have a good yes. time. This film Great Minds,
2: Timo, great minds.
0: Takes that away from us while including it in the plot. Because one of yeah. the dudes, I don't, I think, maybe it's Felix. Müller? Felix? Franz. Who knows? They're all these German names. Yeah, it's Müller. It's Franz. He goes off.
1: Franz, not Franz. I'm oh, sorry. Felix is the name, of the, the actor, actor. The cat. Yeah. My the cat. Favorite. Franz. <laughs> no,
2: cat's the friend with the mustache. <laughs> 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 oh, we have fun. Continue, Timo.
0: So Franz goes off and, you know, has a good time with this French girl and um and we never really see any of it we never really hear any about it except that all the other guys want to sniff the handkerchief and that, yeah. that that for all of them that's the only like that's the closest touch of the woman that they're going to have that they have for like the last two years of their lives they don't even avoidable yeah and so i think that that was a a choice that i appreciated to yank that out of the film cuz it makes sure. it more yeah. desperate and it makes it more horrific really for these men to be there
3: because just oh. as a side note that kid takes the handkerchief also at mm-hmm. the end yeah has no connection to any of those people
2: uh, timo thank you for bringing that up i was actually going the exact same place because i have actually seen with my eyes and heard with my ears experienced all three versions of this adaptation now the 1930 version, the 2022 version, and the 1979 version. We mm-hmm. watched that for a class in high school.
1: And Directed by Delbert the, Mann, director of Marty. In 19- yeah, exactly. Very picture winner. Yeah, uh,
2: and the scenes that stick with me uh, through the 1930 version and the 1979 version were they're twofold. Uh, the uh, scene where they go into the, the French village and they meet the women, uh, which is you know we see that happen in both of in both mm-hmm. those previous versions. Um, And I think on top of the classroom scene that we were talking about, the 2022 Edward Berger uh, film is much more concerned with keeping us confined and trapped in war on the battlefield, giving us no reprieve. Mm, Even when we're not with Paul and his friends, we are with the negotiators talking about the war. We are with the general planning the war, talking about how great the war is and how they're going to win this thing despite, uh, despite everything. I think we are trapped and confined to the battlefield. The other scene that I remember from all three versions now and probably will uh, as I look back on these adaptations is the scene in the crater with Paul and the French soldier oh, man. where he where he stabs him over and over and over and then sort of looks back at what he's done and then tries to save him. Mm-hmm. That yeah. is present in all three versions and I think it is probably the most affecting scene for me in all three personally. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. This film it's, I think does it really really well. The way that that, was, that crater is is larger, the way that we just spend so much time and see Paul like str- like struggle cuz he kills him, he's got a, he's got the life and death challenge and then he has the like realization like oh my god, what have I done? And yeah just to see him paul like stand over the top of this french soldier's body for so long the film just mm-hmm. holds us there as this guy dies it seems like forever it feels like it takes him 10 mm-hmm. minutes to die and we got to sit there and watch it the whole time and it is just horrifying it's I, yeah yeah my I favorite version of the scene
3: yeah i, I think it's i it's, it's, it's disgusting it it, it i almost um, i gagged a little bit when um and I think it speaks to sort of the emotional depth of the scene when Paul not only realizes what he's done, but realizes that he's not going to die quickly. And mm-hmm. he goes and he grabs like, handfuls of mud yeah, and shoves mud into the guy's that's, throat. That's a
1: Just cra- crazy moment.
3: Just yeah. trying to shut him up. Yeah, yeah. So he can't hear it's, him anymore. It's, yeah. it's horrifying. I mean, it is a truly, truly horrifying sequence. And I think there's something very... There's a realism in the length of time this plays out. And sort of a funny comparison to draw, but I was rewatching the um the shootout from Heat this morning. Sure. Of course I was. And there's people in the comments talking about, man, it's so realistic that when Val Kilmer gets shot, even though he just like gets clipped like on his shoulder, he's out. Because when people get hurt in real life, you are or you get shot or you're you're injured in some way. It's not quick. It's not, oh, either I'm standing up or I'm dead right away. Mm-hmm. There there's and Hollywood likes to make that that time from the point of impact to death as fast as possible in a lot of situations. And this is the complete opposite of that. I'm and it takes that. I think a lot of directorial strength to leave us in that moment for so long. And it connects back to what we we're saying about Paul and sort of the depths of that performance. Because we just see him on that on that bank for, for so long. So many shots of just his eyes reacting and then when he goes and lies down on the guy's chest. And it's his 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 face into the chest and just the muddied, like uh, like mm-hmm. like uh, Je- Doctor Jekyll's side of his face is is what's
1: to the camera. No. I think
3: it's Mr Hyde. Is that the bad one? Yes. Yes. But Doctor Jekyll sounds like it should be the bad one. Don't worry. Well, I think about it's because it.
1: you have the association with Mr Hyde. Bad
3: people
2: can't be doctors, Abram. <laughs>
3: <Great>. <laughs> but I, I just think that that scene is not only really gross in a, in an important way, but I think it's emblematic of sort of the. Um, the texture to this film, in terms of the the realism of its violence, yeah. the, the lack of glamour, and just the intense focus on performance and filmic technique to convey. Other than him yelling "comrade, comrade, comrade," I don't think mm. they say anything in that yeah.
1: sequence. Yeah, I, I think that what this film does almost better than any war film that I can think of is make you realize by the end of the film, which of course we all we all already have this thought going into the film, but that. Every life that is taken, whether it's a bullet to the head or uh, someone stabbing or dying slowly, that it is a human life. This is someone whose life, who has, who has a child, who has a family, who has a wife, who has other things that they are thinking. The same stresses. They don't want to be here as much as Paul doesn't want to be here, or whoever it is doesn't want to be here. And that you you, you like retroactively apply the emotions that you're feeling watching this Frenchman die, who we never knew his name. We only know that Paul regrets his actions in that moment and regrets something even more when he learns about his family and takes the the papers out of his pocket and and looks at the picture of his wife and daughter. And that sort of retroactively informs and continues to inform as we watch more people die throughout the film that no matter which side the life is on and someone is dying, that is a person dying. And that's like the most powerful thing I think can be conveyed in any war film that are anti-war film Mm -hmm. uh, is about the loss of human life on a very personal and real level is sometimes viscerality can be so gratuitous and ridiculous it feels like entertainment value it's like oh look at the production of this look at look at how crazy this is and you think about on the political level and like how this in fact impacted the economics or the you know global situation Mm -hmm. but it is about those moments one-on-one in the trenches not only when uh when paul kills that frenchman in in the in the crater but when he almost kills the uh the other frenchman in the bunker at the end mm-hmm. because of his lack of killing him he gets stabbed in the back by a bayonet and then stumbles outside and dies and that is just a like perfect connection of that character arc in the darkest way possible because he learned his mistake, but in learning that, it led to his demise in, like, the last, like, 0.04 milliseconds of the war or whatever.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 Tucker, you talk about that, And Here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to side with old, old Frankie T over here, old Francois Truffaut. <laughs> and say that there is no such thing as an anti-war film because, yes, All Quite of the Western Front does have all these things that we're talking about, displaying the horror, the inhumanity of it all, the fascist rhetoric that can so easily co-opt wars and is often the the spurring behind it. But at the same time, these scenes where where we're rushing the trenches are pretty thrilling. There's two there, there's two there's two times where I think it happens, especially when or sorry uh Paul excuse me mm-hmm. Paul and his fellow soldiers are just kind of clearing house in these trenches when they are it's almost like a like a like a like a modern action film when they are just just stabbing people shooting people blah 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 moving through and we're seeing people die all around of course but our primary characters are like doing some badass action stuff Mm -hmm. um and i i I think that's those are thrilling sequences and they're obviously very technically well done they are very they are directed very well and the moments are memorable uh like especially the one leading up to them sort of uh they they fight their way through this french trench and then they go in and there's like a little set of food and they're like they're scarfing this food down that the french people had uh, yeah. And then the tanks come, which I want to talk about. But mm-hmm. I think the, the, these battle sequences are still thrilling. I'm not. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I just wanted to point that out.
0: Yeah, I I really love the tank sequence in that it's like just the confusion and the carnage that is caused by these new elements. What a way to like take your 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 setting and your conflict, and then be like, okay, stakes times a million now that there are tanks yeah. around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it works really Art well. Phase
1: two of the boss fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. That that's see. Tanner, I, I think you're right, but, but ultimately, if you were to make a ratio of, of where things yes. look cool to where they're fucking crazy awful, I, I, I think that the, the latter wins pretty handily. Because even I, that, the thought you raise, Tanner, crossed my mind quite similarly in that final charge where Paul really is fucking people up. Yeah, and like, and like, in, like, Call of Duty, like prone diving onto his gun to grab it and reload and kill people, mm-hmm. or the moment when he's sort of running over the trench and then he jumps down onto a guy to, yeah. to kill him. But what I think is interesting even about that construction is that the Frenchman he jumps onto was about to kill a kid that looked like he was maybe fifteen, just like mm-hmm. sitting in the trench. There's, there's always this sort of malicious element to it. Yeah. And um, it sort of reminds me almost of of sort of the the misreadings of like an American Psycho or things like that. <laughs> sure. To where to where if you want to read this as Paul is cool, you can. But you're making you're taking the wrong lesson out of
2: it. Yeah, of course, but, of course. And people it, often do. There's gonna be right. TikTok edits of people like, man, of look course. how cool All Quad of the Western Front is. Stabbing people, shooting people, explosions. Man, That's look at this sad. awesome movie. Oh my god, uh, I don't want to think about that. But at,
3: <laughs> but at the same time, to, to Tucker's point That's about character arc. Uh-huh. We go from, we go from uh, Paul firing a singular shot into a dead corpse and then getting almost headshotted mm-hmm. back into a trench to him killing all these people. I think that says a lot about sort of the sort of animalizing or the dehumanizing yeah, yeah. Of, of Paul. So I think that's present. But no, no scene, I think, sort of marries that spectacle with that horror better than the tanks. Yes. But per- in particular, the retreat. After mm-hmm. the retreat from the tanks, when the flamethrowers are there, mm. people are just getting
1: Crazy. ruined. There's like and the his, one
0: yeah. wide shot of the battle of the film is from that scene where we're way, way, way up high, and they're using like their entire set they're using for that shot, and you can see the flame, like the, the the flame shoot out from a soldier and burn someone else alive, and like we are so intimately connected to the small scale battle during the entirety of the film that this one moment where we zoom way out and you're like, yeah, this is happening everywhere for miles along this line.
2: Mm, yeah. Uh, I, yeah uh, the, oh, Go ahead. Continue. Abram.
3: Uh, if I, if I can, because there's one other moment of, it's a little, it's a little bit tangential, but of, of great violence, that I think is worth pointing out. And it actually sort of undercuts what I was saying, that there is no analog to the, men being envious over each other's boots in this film because I think there is It's the other it's the other scene that really freaked me out um it's when we deliver the soup to uh, oh, J- got... what's his name Jardin Jard- I believe Jard- Jarden. 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 and uh we we sort of we see him pick up a fork and he's looking uh-huh. at it um and then we cut away and we cut back and he is stabbing himself in the neck over mm, and God. over and over again to kill himself with a fork yeah like that's and it's disgusting but then even,
1: even thinking about that, that makes my stomach turn. I think yeah, that's yeah. the most, like, technically impressive and viscerally upsetting scene in the movie. Because I've seen a lot of throat slit in horror movies, yeah. in, in real Action life. movies, know. yeah. yeah. Um, but I've never seen anyone in a film that desperate to end their own life and done with that amount of, like, realism to... The wound on his neck and the fork going in and out and the blood coming out—that—that that <sighs> is <laughs> insane. I, like I, I, we were watching this. I was watching this with Rachel. and I was grabbing onto her arm as hard as I could while I was watching that because it was—it mm-hmm. was like it impacted me on a level that very few violent sequences in movies ha- do. Because I've seen a lot of this. And it, it, this happens more and more and more as we see movies and as the technology to portray violence improves. But that is like that'll stick with me as one of the yeah. most impactful moments God. of visual violence I've ever seen in a film. But but there's a cut there's then
3: the then the camera cuts and, and adds a lot of emotional depth because we see that a, so, a right, random guy is eating the bowl of soup mm-hmm. as, as he's watching two other soldiers try to hold this man's like cartilage into his neck. Yeah. And I, and I think that is such a clear symbol of this dehumanization that that we're discussing mm-hmm. through Paul's arc in in the, in the action sequence.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember watching that scene and it it gets to him stabbing it and my brain instinctively I like my my intrusive thoughts of that moment was like boom I'm in I'm thinking about something totally random totally like some joke or something from a long time ago. Like that scene was so horrifying. Because I think not only that it's it's very well done and it's very realistic, but it is a character that we know and it is someone that we care about when we see ha- this happen. And so we feel very much in the protagonist's shoes. That scene literally made my brain go into like fight or, fight or flight mode and like think about other shits because so that I would stop paying so much attention to the movie and not be like scarred by it. My brain was like, don't, was like, it was very like, Block this no we don't like why are you watching this think about something else think happy thoughts instinctively mm-hmm. I did I was trying to watch and pay attention as I always do when I'm watching a movie but this time like my brain was fighting me on it on some of these scenes um, and that one in particular was like the definitely the strongest
2: Absolutely. since we're speaking of uh, Chodin, uh I do want to quick shout out to the makeup team he has like one eye that's like pink and like the iris is yellow that it was I I don't know if he had that for the whole film or if that was like a thing that was added to when he was di- obviously dying in that courtyard. I think he field, had it dying a long soldiers. time
0: because it was I remember noticing it earlier in the film.
2: Yeah. And I, I don't know. I I, well, I would imagine that that's a makeup thing and not a actual thing that the actor has, but I could be wrong. But I, I assumed it was a makeup thing. I was like, that's just a cool touch to make your character visually interesting and to tell to set them apart from the rest of these uh the rest of these uh soldiers. Um I had something else that I wanted to bring up and now it is escaping me. Oh the camaraderie? I want to talk about the goose the gooses the Uh geese um because we uh I think we pretty immediately after our time jump after eighteen month our eighteen month time jump we first see Paul and Kat uh by that French farm trying in trying to sneak in and steal a goose so they can have it and and, and go back to their buddies in their cabin or whatever and, and eat some goose soup um and I think it's really interesting because the the difference between the color grading outside you know're we're, we we're ashen we're over or we're, we're over what, I, what am i overcast thank you uh brain oh. uh and everything when they're stealing the goose and then we get to inside that cabin and it's very warm lighting, people are jumping around, people are laughing, people are slapping their soup into their mouths and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, this is like the one happy moment of the film. And then we don't get one ever again after that. Mm -hmm. But I think the camaraderie is very evident there, as well as the seeding of that that French family's farm, which obviously comes around at the end when the little boy kills Cat. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that now is a good chance to also talk about the supporting cast of characters that end up that Paul has that camaraderie with because I don't remember who it was but I think one of you guys said earlier that their performances didn't hit you as hard I think that's that's true for me as well I think that my full my my the thing that holds me back from this being one of my favorite war movies ever this or the uh, the 1930s version is that these the characters in both of these films are very simple. They are not explored in great depth. They have personality while they're on screen, but we don't feel intimately connected with them. We don't, obviously don't know that much about their backstories or, or whatever it is. Um, and as someone who is very much a character person when I'm watching films, and it is, it is learning about the people in Platoon or Hurt Locker that makes me love those films so much, I, am, I respect the different... Uh, path to telling a story about war through characters that are relatively simplistic and not as fleshed out. But it is something that, that holds the, the, both these films back just a little bit for me.
0: Yeah. I think I was the one who said that I think thinking about it now, I didn't quite, the way i meant it earlier was that the, um, this film's time jumpy nature. And given that we are, we're mostly focused on Paul leads me to kind of feel like our side characters are a bit, underdeveloped in that yeah we i like know who they are i can recognize them by face and by name and and yet like i don't know so much more about them and i feel like the earlier film i felt like the group as a whole more as like a character like the group of boys yeah
1: outside of much more balanced in terms of screen time mm -hmm. all is much greater a focus here than the first
0: one yeah so But does that, I don't know, what we've been talking about, does that make it like a negative in my mind? Because I think the film makes up for it in other regards. The film is talking about other things. And it could be that we don't have so much characterization for these guys because how much does Paul really know them? How much does Paul really know these people he just meets, like Kat? And he certainly doesn't know most of the characters who die in the film. And so... If we review it maybe more as a perspective piece, as it's we are looking at this through Paul's eyes, then it could explain it perhaps.
1: I I, I, I think that's I, a, a possible reading, but I don't think that's accurate because he spent eighteen months with these guys mm-hmm. in trenches and they had to have talked. Yeah. They had to have shared their stories. Like you you got don't have like months worth of downtime cumulatively and don't get to know the guys that are like keeping you alive by your side. So I don't I don't think that's necessarily true, but it is an interesting reading for why the film is so distant. I mean, I just, I don't, I, first of all, I, I think that some
3: films are just inherently told in a cold respect with, with yeah. distance to them, and that's the intent of the characters. But I'm not even necessarily sure I agree that this film is, is that distant, because I think we're underselling how uh, efficient the, the development of the relationship between Kat and uh, Paul is. Because I think it's actually very effective. In, in that we're sort of allowed to fill in the gaps. At a certain point, do I really need to do I really need to see them develop a friendship, or can I just take the time jump and they're stealing a goose together? Mm-hmm. For me, I can, I can take that time jump because after that, not only do we see them steal the goose and have that conversation together, but while we're in this moment of away from the front lines, there's that really exceptional scene where Paul reads out the letter that Kat's wife wrote, Great to scene. him and in that we we learn a lot about obviously on just like a an expository level we learn a lot about cat but we also learn sort of subtly what the relationship between these two people is Mm -hmm. and sort of the codependency that's formed between them as we as we sort of look as as paul looks to cat for like a, a physical guidance and a physical presence in the war as as Cat looks to Paul for like an, an intellectual understanding of the world that he himself doesn't have. And he reiterates across the film during key moments, like when he says, Paul, if you don't go to university, I'm going to kill you and things mm-hmm. like that as, as a joke, we, we see this, this, um, this father son relationship develop, but we're only given through dialogue, the sort of base information we, we would need mm-hmm. beyond that. It's a lot through again, physical action through, these, this protracted sequence of trying to find cat um, when when we return from from the 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 um the the fucking hole in the ground sequence I can't remember the word right now <laughs> uh, after that or or as we see them run together with a goose on in, in, in a field or they're making jokes as they're stealing eggs or or whatever I think we we get that and even in the case of Franz there's this understanding they're close as as they're sort of lying in opposite bunks together talking about, oh, so what was it like? And he's like, oh, she had big boobs or whatever. And that's <laughs> like, there's, there's this feeling that they are friends and we know that. I just don't think that this is a film that wants to be very talkative. And it, and when it does speak, it gives us these sort of nodes that we can stitch together to develop these relationships and something bigger. So I actually found it to be a very efficient way to talk about the supporting cast. And I was quite impressed with them, particularly Kat and
2: Paul's relationship.
1: Yeah, hmm. that's yeah. definitely the best part.
2: Um, Yeah, I, I think... Uh, Tucker, you said at the beginning how we brought up how there's very sparse dialogue in this, and you made a remark about, hey, got nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. But this is a great reminder that screenplay does not equal dialogue. Yeah. Screenplay equals story. Screenplay equals character arcs. Screenplay equals, uh, you know, just the, the... Screenplay can even equal, like, a singular mood in a scene or across a film. One moment that I'm very glad that they included in this screenplay is when these guys are a vignette as as timo said when the the troop is sent out to find oh we're missing like 60 recruits go find Mm, out what happened to them and we go and it's it becomes like a horror movie for a scene when we're creeping around this abandoned factory or rail yard or something and uh one of them is like chatting up a poster on the wall because this these guys haven't seen a woman for two years, or a year and a half, I guess, at that point. Um, but we enter this room, and the way that the camera is positioned, you never really fully see the scope of the bodies until they leave the room. But, like, they're just all dead, just splayed out in this room, a room full of bodies. And it's shot and feels like a horror film scene. And mm-hmm. it's such an interesting way to, you know just subtly change up the the feel and aesthetic of this film I i do want to shout out edward berger more because uh I, we, we haven't talked about the direction specifically a whole lot um i feel he was snubbed for a nomination uh but we'll, we could talk about that more in specifics um if you guys want to otherwise mm-hmm. i have other moments we can talk about you know just I... quickly about the other nominations it got what where, where do you want to go I want to
0: hit um, cinematography and sound design as a Perfect. duo piece right here, starting off with the the, the camera side of it. Um, obviously, compare this film a lot to 1917, and I think what this film succeeds in and where 1917 falls a little short is in the message because the way that we use the camera in a very similar manner to 1917, we have long takes, we stay with the characters, makes us feel very in the moment, but the film doesn't lock itself into that method of filmmaking and so can use editing and whatnot to move us around in the story and yep. make us feel more. Time
1: jumps other locations. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes,
0: it allows us to... It I think it takes the best elements of that, that film's cinematography and uses them for the moments that are very useful in this film, which are the running around the trenches and going into battle, I think. This film, you could, can just say that it copied it, but... Because yeah. it does this other stuff so well, I think that it, it really succeeds more than 1917 does. And then, also, okay, go ahead, comment, I, yeah, I, but I've got yeah, sound I wanna,
3: too. <laughs> I want to talk about sound, but I want to directly jump off of what you said, the idea that we're using the camera to sort of communicate theme. Uh, I, my favorite shot in the entire film is it's this far away shot, in, as like the sun is rising, of the men marching, single mm-hmm. file but they march all the way from one and off of l- one side of the, the frame all the way off the other in a continuous motion. It is just this wave of sort of unidentifiable soldiers marching to the point where you could, you could loop that as a gif and they would keep mm-hmm. going. And, and I think it's, a, it's an example of how the camera is used to reinforce these ideas of, the, of this futility. That mm-hmm. line of men is just going to keep marching. There is no start and there is no stop. Mm -hmm. So I just think that's my favorite shot of the film.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of... Obviously, the camera work and the editing in those action sequences, the battle sequences, is really impressive work. It does feel like we're recapturing some of that energy that 1917 was so remarkable at just a few years ago. Obviously, that being the modern uh, war film touchstone for people of our age. Um, Of course, you can draw parallels to Saving Private Ryan and Platoon and other war movies. Um, But I think that for me, it is not only the fact that those are so well done, but that the cinematography is so remarkable in other ways that makes this a very worthy Best Picture nomination for me. It is the shots of German forests. It is the shots of the sun rising. This really incredible shot that is just a sky and this a tree down in the very bottom corner mm-hmm. of the screen. And I'm like, that is a use of negative space and a framing that is so bold and another shot that really sticks with me and they drew attention to it because they knew it was fucking awesome is this tree that's standing there and the sun is right in the middle of the branches like peeking out and the and the sun's rays are like because of the you know camera lens and they're they're peeking out over the rest of the tree and it's those moments of nature that are untouched by war juxtaposed by the just complete fucking obliteration Of these battlefields, they are unrecognizable mud and crater and wood and blood and bone areas with like the occasional tree stump. And you're like, wait, 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 this used to be a forest. There used to be trees and plants and flowers and animals here, but the war has turned this field into something that may never come back from this because it's so horrifyingly scarred.
2: Yeah. Uh, Tucker, obviously, you know, there are great moments of direction and cinematography in those battle sequences that make them so compelling and thrilling, as we talked about. But I do love that Edward Berger and uh, the cinematographer James Friend uh, just like kind of flex on on us sometimes, (laughs) especially at the very beginning. They're just like, here's some incredible just shots for you, just for your Oscar reel Academy. Just some uh, shots for you yeah just, just a, a ultra wide shot and it holds for a little bit on the silence and then often in, off in the distance miles and miles away there's like a the 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 shells start going off and you're like oh there's the, the war is happening over there and then you know you get like a like a a, a straight up at the sun and all the trees are coming up that's in the forest. a crazy shot and then an there's awesome like a close-up like a fox in a den it's just like yeah we're just flexing on you we're just showing mm-hmm. you some cool stuff right now some cool shots what do you think? Yeah. Oh, worthy yeah. of a nomination? <laughs> I say yes. And if I, I can predict a little bit, a win, I would say. Yeah, I got to see more of the ones in the category. But, sure, but, sure.
3: Timo, but Timo, just as we, we delayed, ta- just as your actions caused Tanner to almost lose his opening mm-hmm. statement, my actions almost caused you to lose your sound talks. So I want to give that back. Yeah, well, right Tanner,
0: ahead. you mentioning that opening scene and how we hear often the distance the sound of war, the sound of shells, this film is gonna win sound it's it's got the best sound Probably, because yeah because going well, back there's to, a
1: little there's a little film called top gun out there that's really we that's shall really see that's that. we, we shall that's see the real competition
2: i would say yeah
0: um but i mean following industry awards this one picked up all the sound guild awards cas and npsc both gave it the 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 nod And the reason why, I think, is because it uses a technique similar to what I was talking about last week of amplification. I think the sound design in this movie is incredibly unrealistic in that it's not just a representation of what is going on in the scene. It's like a zoomed in pinpoint of the most important sounds that we need to hear. And we zoom in. There's this one moment where we're out on the battlefield and it cuts to going back into the general's office and the way that we cut is we hear the sound of his crunch on the croissant but mm-hmm. they but they play the crunch like mm-hmm. slightly before the the visual cut actually happens and it's so close, and yet the shot is like a medium or whatever, it's
2: like, we're not like an insert. A J cut or an L cut, I it's don't know. what it is. It's a J cut because the audio
3: track is below and the J goes like this. That's how uh, I remember there it. Yes, there yeah.
0: you go. And so I think that this film uses sound design to do storytelling like the first time we go and investigate and we steal the goose. Um, Paul stands outside that wall and we just look at him listening.
1: While he listens
0: to hear what's going on inside and the way that when they're stealing food from the French bunker and they hear the tank come outside, the film like gives us little crumbs of what's going to happen next, almost entirely through the sound design. And that like leads, if you're really listening, I think you can pick up on a lot of elements and a lot of story beats that are going to happen in the film before they actually happen, which makes you feel pretty smart. And then- the, uh, the actual construction and all the, the sound effects that are used, I mean, they're just like, it's impeccable. This thing sounds, yeah. it's so immersive sounding when there's the explosions and the war. It's like totally overwhelming. And then when there's quieter moments, we hear all these like in, you know, the subtleties of what's going on in the scene. Like when they're outside the goose, the goose house is what I'm going to call it. The um, goose house. The goose house. house. Uh we can hear the sound of the snowflakes falling around them and i'm like i'm thinking about it like okay i've been in a situation like that and that is the sound that you hear because it's so quiet and all you can Mm -hmm. hear but like in what movie have they decided to like amplify what we experience hearing in a way that we can understand it in the film i think stuff like that is this this is the direction that films should be taking with sound design in my opinion
2: yeah may i just momentarily may i just momentarily lament that we we talk about all the fantastic cinematography the fantastic sound and sound design and sound editing mm-hmm. may i just lament the fact that this is a netflix original yeah, or a, oh, a, yeah. a netflix <laughs> dis- distributed film not a netflix original because mm, I, and they I are think doing Netflix uh, might have our, put our up local...
0: a lot of money for the production though. They might have funded oh, yeah. a lot of it at the beginning.
3: I think they did. Yeah. Will our, I get my Blu-ray? That's my question, Tanner.
2: I don't know. I don't know. But our our local theater chain is doing a uh, a Best Picture showcase, so there is an opportunity to see this in a theater if we so wish. But imagine okay. if this got picked up by like a major a major studio here in the U.S. and yep. got a a wide release. I think this would be. Bigger than it is because it's great that people get to look, set eyes on it on Netflix, but it just your home, your home theater setup, home unless theater, you're if me, you can call it that. Exactly. Unless
0: you're me, it's not going to be good
2: enough, it's not going to do it justice. And I kind of, yeah. I was like, I was, it I was had great mine in the moment, up
0: so mother, so goddamn loud. <laughs> yeah. oh, it
2: was beautiful. It was great in the moment, but <laughs> I couldn't help feeling like, damn, I wish I was watching this in a theater. Yeah.
3: Can I uh can I just talk about something completely separate just because I feel like we're wrapping up and we're talking about it. I'm yeah. something important.
1: completely different.
3: I, I wanna talk about um first of all I just want to say it's <laughs> the, the the image of a grown man carrying a full grown goose under his arm running across a field is very funny to me. I just wanna the goose's neck
2: is broken, and it's like flapping all around. <laughs> it's funny.
3: But but the thing I actually wanted to say is um I think Cat's death is very, very interesting. Yeah. And, and and I think it is and it kind of speaks to me to how the film is pretty straightforward thematically, but it really does everything it can to sort of expose this it, its ideas and, and develop them. I think the notion that a young boy with a gun bigger than himself goes and kills a man on behalf of a, a grievance that his father holds mm-hmm. is really interesting. And, the, and I think on the
0: last day of the war.
3: Yeah. I, I think it's a really great sort of analog for this idea of of nationalism provoking yeah. these young men to war, mm. but but for a battle that is not really worth what's going to happen. I mean, they stole a couple eggs. Yeah, yeah. But but so for, on behalf of my father or my fatherland, I'm going to go and lose my innocence, killing another man for basically no reason.
2: Yeah, I just, it didn't even I think it's kill his effective. dad. It's just the the embarrassment, the you know of yeah. like. Continually stealing from us, and my father can't uh, kill you or seek revenge on you, so I will.
3: Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's a, and it's told very subtly. There's a really, there's like this brooding shot, like a medium close of the kid, like sitting next yeah. to his dad. And I think his dad, you don't even see the dad's face; you see like his waist and below because mm-hmm. he's short. Mm-hmm. And we, we just hear, we, we see him with the gun to cat, and we hear the shot, and that's all we get. But I think it's such a spare but effective criticism of the nationalism that. Took these boys to war, so I just want yeah. to shut that out. Mm-hmm. This is
1: what film analysis does to an MF. It Truly. gives them the ability to read this out of that scene, which I think is absolutely probably the intention. Yeah, you know, yeah. that that takes layers of like learning what film can do to extrapolate. And what a like what movie. a comparison.
0: Best. Yes, to the general, just throwing that like we have the general whose father. And then mm-hmm. the boy whose father and we're on different oh, sides and Buster different Keaton statures. <laughs> Not you know. the monster Gibbon movie. <laughs>
2: I'm I mean, gonna do. I'm gonna do my classic. Uh, Tanner Dykstra. Hey, what about this cool thing I wrote down? And just, just sure. I I, and while head Tanner head does that, get, your, a, get
0: your ranking yeah. pulled up. Let's figure out where this film goes on the list.
2: Um, I love the moment where, uh, Paul gets his uniform from Heinrich, Heinrich or whatever, or it was Heinrich's, and the guy just says like, oh, it must have been too small, happens all the time, when we very clearly saw Heinrich get fucking slaughtered on the battlefield.
1: Mm-hmm. And um, rips off the tag and drops it onto the pile of yep. many other ones. Great moment.
2: Yeah. Uh, another great moment after the first, like, full barrage that the troop, uh, experiences. I think it's Kat, he turns to him and says, they're coming. Great line reading! Oh my god, just terrifying. a fantastic moment there. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? What else? What else? What else? I think that might be it,
1: actually. Um, one moment that sticks out to me is when they're walking through the forest and you see that really, 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 really tall tree and a half a person's body hanging off of one branch, sticking off a incredibly stinking tall oh, tree. Yep, yep, yep. Crazy shot. Yep. They don't linger on it either. It's just like up there. You see it, and you're. Did I did I see that right? And then the camera pounds down. I believe there's a, another shot of it, like from you know from the top or something like that. Mm-hmm. But that is a that is a prop. That is a prosthetic. That is that is the cinematography. It's the the gigantic tree that they either found or built, and like everything about that makes it a really impactful, but quick but impactful moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think
0: this film lives in those small moments where you're just like, what did I like? Oh my god! I can't believe I just watched that. Like I think yeah. that's where this film really gets you. A
3: cool. quick question: I meant to ask it at the top. Did we all watch with English subtitles in German? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay, is good. there a dub? The, because ne-
2: yeah, Netflix auto plays the English dub. Weird. It did for us at least. Yeah. Huh. Classic you listen Netflix. To it like, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Well, it did yeah. the same thing with Squid Games or whatever. Classic Netflix Classic. always be doing that.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't watch it with subtitles. I just understood everything they said.
1: Oh, sure. Gotcha. No, you didn't. <laughs> no, I no didn't. you didn't. You liar.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, let's see where this film goes. Someone, Tanner, do you know what it is? Do you know what the number is?
2: Let's find it out. Three, two, one. Oh my God, Tucker and I have the same score. Oh my shit. God.
0: Oh, deliberation. Oh no. We have given <laughs> no. this film a 9.2. The same score as everything everywhere all at once, well, the point breakdown, Tucker and Tanner both gave it an eight point eight. I gave it a nine point three and Abram gave it a nine point eight. So I mean, we can expand the rounding or we can debate
1: i think I think great. it's an easy debate. there's only two yeah, there's only two movies I already have to debate, yeah, yeah.
2: Wait, how, the when thing, have we ever
1: expanded the rounding?
2: There's a very clear delineation on who thinks it's better than everything everywhere and who thinks it's not. Yeah, there's but,
0: too well. Yeah. Hmm.
2: Uh, I'll, I'll. W- w- should we all go around the horn and give ourselves give do, give a quick, little one or two sentence argument as to why we think one way or the other? Yeah, all right, like Let's that. go around
3: like
0: the horn.
2: That. Okay. Where's the horn uh, starting, Tanner? I don't. I With don't want to start. Tucker, you start. Okay. <laughs> I <laughs> want to start. I want to start. I want to start. Away, I'm go Abrams.
3: To me, everything... No, no, fuck. All Quiet on the Western Front um, exemplifies what film and its unique affordances can do. I Mm. think that as an audio-visual experience, this is a remarkable achievement in not necessarily the sort of stylized use of film that everything everywhere is, but a very precise and beautiful and technically perfect exploration of of a visual motif and and sound used to convey emotion Mm -hmm. and to me ultimately that's what it is there are imagery there is imagery from this film that i will never forget and it is not only the the disgusting things that speak to seem most clearly but also just beautiful images of the world that has been destroyed because of that violence as tucker was talking about before yeah so as a raw illustration of film, I think that everything, everywhere all at once is not as good as all quite a the in front <laughs> to save it go. at the last second. There you so. go. Two
1: very long names for yes. two pretty much equally late films, actually. Yeah, actually yeah. Um, I want
0: to uh, go
3: last. I
1: was smiling when you said that, Abram, because I absolutely agree. That is why yeah. this film is as remarkable as it is. My score went up quite a bit as we watched this. I went, I went to my letterbox, I raised it up to a nine instead of an eight. I think this is a, this is a phenomenal film. And these yeah. two movies back-to-back is a great start for this Best Picture run. And honestly, I think it kind of continues. I think they're all great. Um really? Now that we've seen them all, Tanner and I, this was the last one we had to watch. Um, but I think that Everything, Everywhere, All at Once is what you just mentioned, but for me, much stronger directorially, creatively, thematically. It touches on ideas and concepts we don't see brought to the big screen with ideas and editing choices and visual motifs that are much more subtle, I think, than... A war movie, which needs to be bombastic, which needs to carry across these themes that we have been exploring for uh, over an, an, over a decade at this point. War movies have been around since the beginning of cinema, but all... Certainly every, over a d- decade. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, plus some. Uh, everything, every while at once does something that I've never seen film do before, and sure. that's why I think it stands as the test of what film can do now. What film's as you said, affordances and the stylized nature of film can be used to create synergies between the editing and the sound design and the acting and the set design that are so impeccably done and fresh in Everything Ever All at Once. And I think even though they're both great films, Everything Ever All at Once stands above All Quiet in the Western Front because it feels new. I feel like I hadn't seen so many choices they made in that movie when I've I've seen 2,500 plus movies in my life I'd seen a lot of what this film had done before. Maybe not to as consistent a bar as this film did across the board, but I could draw the exact same themes from the 1930s version. And again, they were pretty comparable in my mind when I started this, even though it doesn't have the technical fidelity of this. I can draw the parallels to Saving Private Ryan or 1917. Also movies I think are 9 out of 10, some of my favorite movies of all time. But I can't draw those same parallels with everything ever all at once Except for maybe Swiss Army Man, because that's from the same, you know, creative minds. But distinctness absolutely rules over technical fidelity. Even though Everything All At Once also has that technical fidelity, just in a different way. Tucker, are you Abram, you
0: you have holding your thinking helper. That pen there is helping you come I, I, to I a th- conclusion. Yes.
2: Tucker and Abram are you you both make very compelling arguments. You're you two smart fellas. You're not you're not fart smellers over here, uh, and I even even though my score is higher for everything ever all at once, and I agree so much with Tucker's arguments about how it's so distinct, so unique, so fresh, so modern. Well, this is a adaptation that I that so I've seen and <laughs> that I've seen two times in the past already. The technical proficiency that Abram was talking about, the masterful usage of the affordances—we're all going to use that word here by the end of the day—that uh, we, yeah, that are are allotted to film, the proficiency with which they are used in everything, everywhere. Ah, fuck, all applied <laughs> on the Western Front, <laughs> are so apparent. And even as we talked about it, we were uh, we were peeling back layers of of theme and meaning and how That's they like do yeah how exactly and uh how much trying they to change t- his mind <laughs> how much the screenplay can do with a so little but of course we did the same thing with everything everywhere all at once so if i have to come down to it i'm gonna go everything everywhere all at once i'm gonna stick by my score but i could so easily be swayed over to all quiet on the western front so easily and it, we'll see we'll see what happens we'll see if we want to throw it to the audience but Timo please give your argument
0: oh, oh man well, i want to make throw, it throw it to the same. audience ah! okay okay here's my deal i think everything everywhere all at once is where i want movies to go i think it's i think that is a moving in a direction that like uses modern sensibilities and internet humor and ways that we are modern in this film but all quiet on the western front feels topical also For the first time in a long time, war has returned to Europe. There is a real live war going on between European countries right now. And while this film was made before that, I don't know what you said and I'm going to ignore it. Before this film (laughs) was made, before that war began, I think it coming out now has special meaning. And so I haven't felt the way that I felt when watching this movie in a long time and the only you know it's only happened a few other times just the the extreme negative emotions that this movie gave me <laughs> which i am going to choose to view as a, this movie's success i was talking to my parents on the phone Oops. and i was like you guys should not watch this movie it's i was like it's really good but i don't think you you will enjoy it at all i think my parents no. would not be able to handle it so that i it makes me want to be like all quiet just feels like it made me feel a lot more, even though uh, the themes and, like, the the position of everything everywhere is maybe a little bit more important in, like, film canon if I were to try to future project, like, what's going to happen. Yeah, probably. Hmm.
1: I'm it's really torn.
2: It's a masterful example of, uh, of modern film in the realm of film that we'd know before versus a like radical new way forward for film that hasn't proven itself yet.
3: If, it's... I, can, if, if I can say one more thing to that point, I, I, I think we're thinking about modernity in the sense of like subject matter, when I think it's also important to think about it through the lens of this being, to Tanner's point earlier, such a spare script that is, on a dialogue level, mm-hmm. being so rich in yes. terms of opportunity for direction and camera and sound to synchronized together i think that there's like an airtight relationship between every element of this film and to me there's something very modern about that with its level of fidelity of course fidelity changes but just as fidelity ages i think so will the humor of everything everywhere even though it feels germane to the moment Mm -hmm. i think that the level of filmmaking in in all quiet is also very the screenplay
2: of everything everywhere uh, you know in juxtaposition of of all quiet is bountiful it not only dialogue but especially concept it's full yeah. it's full of concept it's full of ideas it's full of you know galaxy brained multiversal brained ideas and stuff like that and whereas all quiet on the western front is just so good at give doing what it does with some characters they are at war
0: hmm you know all what you know what it's gonna <laughs> i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it it's coming down to this i like the sound better in all quiet on the western front
2: Okay. So we we got a 50/50 split. As I said, I could go all quiet on the western front, but I feel it's I feel it's more fun to leave it to the audience.
3: I'm just going to say this, and I okay. don't want to pull the curtain back this far. Okay. We are almost definitely recording the next one of these before this video goes live. Yes. Do we want the hassle of multiple quest episodes domino affecting mm. the ranking being uncertain as we wait I don't, for audience? I don't think we can afford...
0: The, our quest affordances will not let that happen.
2: Abram yeah. is playing on my need for cleanliness and order. <laughs> it's unfair. And that means
1: Timo can change his answer. <laughs> that means... Tanner is closer to moving. Uh, that's true, I am. But now, now here's here's what I would say is to, to put the okay. final line of defense on everything ever all at once is I do okay. think that in terms of what All Quiet in the Western Front did in terms of, yes, amazing sound design and and using a sparse script, these are things that I feel could have been done five years ago, 10 years ago. I think they were done very well in 1917. I thought they were done very well in 2009 with the Hurt Locker. These, these ideas and concepts, again, have been done before, and in my mind, in some cases, Done better, sometimes done worse, but I do think what Everything Everywhere All At Once does in terms of reinventing filmmaking—yes, from having new concepts and jokes that might feel germane to the moment—but using filmmaking in a way that is has not been seen before—that is not only idea but execution that takes film to the next level. This evolves what we've already had, but what Everything ever All At Once does is put. The past behind us, and say, no, this is a bold step forward into the future, and it's okay to try things and not completely work. It's okay to try things that are radically different from what we've seen before, and may take some getting used to. But it is that bold step into the future that I think the uh, that we should recognize, that I recognize, that I think the Oscars should recognize as holding up to the future. Everything ever all at once will be the more important movie. Five years from now, ten years from now, it will be influencing more films. And *All Quiet on the Western Front* will be influencing war films. I absolutely think this is the gold standard for 2022 mm-hmm. war films. Not that there's much competition, but that I think, to me, very easily puts it on the side of everything ever all at once because the future needs to be changed by someone with a even bolder creative vision than someone could have thought of five years ago. And I really think that's what it stands at here's what i'm gonna say because i think we should just make a decision
3: yeah and and, and tanner and i we keep bearing in mind the logistical challenge we'd face here's what i'm gonna say tanner and i were both writers we're at, we're both about to lose our, our careers to chat GBT, so i, I think
0: him, of course yes
3: so i think that if we landed a split decision we let the computer decide and we extend out that that um decimal
2: point okay let's do well it. tucker's gonna like Only it if
3: we have a split decision um only if there's a split decision because i would prefer yeah, that the I, human touch. i was touch. talking
2: about it i was talking yeah. i was thinking about it like could i put all quiet i could we talked about it so much and i and, and i've talked about how i love this film so much but at a gut level it just feels wrong to put it above everything everywhere all at once like i could do it but i would i would feel guilty about it okay. i would feel all right. you'd
0: harbor well, it for the rest of your days we're a we're a zero guilt channel so uh, Let's extend let's extend our rounding. Okay, um, let's do it. Well, so going beyond one decimal place into two decimal points, we get everything everywhere with a 9.23 and all <gasps> quiet with a 9.18. Oh, so, there it is. So, yeah, it ev- every- the range
1: that can round to 9.2. Mhm. Yes. Yeah. Such yeah. a vast gulf in how <laughs> the quality of the So, it oh, would seem man. that our oh, our scores I give... love engaging in a little trolling.
0: <laughs> Our scores give everything, everywhere, all at once the number one spot, but followed extremely close behind by All place? Quiet on the See, Western yeah. Front. Mere yeah. inches by the mere space that the lines moved in World War I. That is go. how far oh, wow. apart these movies are.
1: Hundreds of meters.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear viewer, and I, I just want to say that, you know, ultimately, while it seems like that still... discussion was for naught, and uh, we just we, we just let the computer decide at the end of the day. I do love the conversation that we had comparing these two films and what yeah. they mean That's what for, for. the show for 2022 in film.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If you have an opinion about either of these two films, especially these two films versus each other, throw them down there in the comments, because if these films are so tight, they might just stay next to each other for the, uh, the rest of the list. And we True. could come back and revise with some viewer input a month down the road.
2: What, yeah. if, what if what all these films get a nine point two? We're doing Avatar. That's not getting a nine point two. Okay, all right, all it's right. It's gonna
0: all get right. a nine point five. Um, Abram, <laughs> you spilled the beans. You spilled the beans on what <laughs> That's movie true. we're gonna talk about next week. Give it to us straight this time. We're doing. We are doing Avatar: The Way of Water. Ah, uh, yes. That's
3: the Avatar: as you
2: can be. The Way of Water is in all things. It it connects us. It moves us. Other things us pi- before
1: our birth. And after, our, after our
2: death, there you go. Yes. Pyakon, you know, Jake yeah. Sue Natiri, uh, yeah. Locke, Quarkett, Quark- 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 mm-hmm.
0: We got we got lots the of world lovely... Of Pandora. You We're going to we Pandora, are. baby. We're gonna do some war in Pandora. <laughs> we we don't think about All Quiet on the Western Front while you watch Avatar. Don't do it. Because I don't think those two movies mesh particularly
2: well. As for the availability of this one. I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna take it from James Cameron. Go to a theater. That's how you yeah. got. That's how you gotta see it. I got
0: my ticket. Uh, I'm going to the theater to watch this one again. Mm-hmm. I saw it on a set on
3: a seventeen fifty dollar ticket in the middle of the day in an IMAX theater in fucking Providence, Rhode Island, and that theater was almost half full.
2: And yeah, the movie came
3: out. We need to
1: talk about six that. weeks ago. ago. We
2: will. We will be talking about the <laughs> pervasiveness of Avatar, uh, Pandora Fever. Uh, yeah. in the it's, populace. It's number
1: four now, isn't it?
2: Number four. Past uh, just today, past The Force Awakens. Horse could, shit. By the time this episode comes out, could be number three, could be number two. Who's to say? Who
0: knows? James Cameron, he seems to have done it again, but will he get what he couldn't get last time he made an Avatar movie, which was um, the best picture. I mean, he didn't get the nom last time, right?
2: He did. Yeah. Okay, he okay. got the nom. The will, will
0: he be able to get the win with this film? We're going to tell you next time on the quest for the bestest. I think my ending message means a little more this time around. Um, We will see you all next time. And remember this, after this movie especially, peace.